never be the same We'll never be the same We go from glory to glory to glory We're forever changed Forever changed We go from glory Happy Thanksgiving week. Great to be with everyone today. It's great to be there. Let's give the Lord a clap of Thanksgiving today as we go into a week of Thanksgiving. So good to be together. And how great to hear from Patricia today, uh, sitting over here, just so thankful for her ministry and sharing with us what God is doing around the world. And uh, thank you to so many of you who are part of that ministry on this side, uh, sending things with her as people are reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we love all of our global partners, but there's an extra bit of fun when someone has their roots in our church family. And so we're thankful for Patricia as being a part of our family and being one of our global partners. Can we just give her a hand this morning for sharing her ministry today? I wanted to uh, just share with you on my family's behalf, so many of you have been praying for us uh, for the sale of our house. We moved here from Tracy in Northern California, and it's a crazy slow market up there right now. Uh, but praise God, we have a buyer for our house, and so we're thankful for that, and uh, it's in escrow and should close December 1st, and so we're getting ready to move all of our stuff from Tracyland to Ventura Land. It's a good, good thing. So I uh, just really appreciate all your prayers, and we're so thankful for the encouragement of our encounter family. Uh, if you weren't with us last Sunday, we shared a little bit about what we're calling Reset, our end-of-the-year giving campaign, and uh, if you happen to miss last Sunday, I would invite you to listen to that message online. Uh, just go to our website. We are wanting to pray as an entire church together as we close 2022 that really it will be a reset moment for us financially as a church so that we can launch uh, into a brand new year of ministry in 2023, and I am asking all of you to just prayerfully be a part of the joy of what God God's going to do as we close out the year. Well, I want to share with you what, what is probably hands down my favorite sports injury story of all time. Uh, it is one of those ones that you baseball historians will know uh, for sure once I start telling it, and it actually gives me more reason to become a, an official Dodgers fan, so I'm just going to say that out there. It's part of sports legend. ESPN actually still counts this as the top, uh, it's the third spot in all-time history of sports as far as memorable moments, and it was when Dodgers player Kirk Gibson could barely walk before game one of the 1988 World Series against the Oakland A's. And basically, he had to use a bat that day to steady himself. And he would share later on that his ankle hurt, his knee ached, his entire leg ached for that matter. But he was a part of the Dodgers. And even though he may not be able to play, he was going to suit up and be out there on the field. And he knew he could barely walk, so he wasn't going to be on the field. But he thought 
maybe, just maybe, he could pinch hit in a tight late inning spot. And as the Dodgers take the field at the top of the ninth inning, trailing four to three, uh, four to three, Gibson slips back into the trainer's room and he gets up on the trainer's table, just as Vin Scully, the announcer that day, announces to this stadium of 56,000 people and he says, well, the man who's been there all season for the Dodgers, Kirk Gibson, is not in the dugout today and will not be there for his team. And as Gibson hears that in the training room, he hops off the table, he gets an ice pack, he puts on his spikes, and he starts hobbling up the runway towards the field, and he informs the hitting coach that he'd be ready to pinch hit in the bottom of the ninth, and he feels he could give the Dodgers one good swing. And as it turns out, he has an opportunity. Oakland has four runs. And the Dodgers have three. It's the top of the ninth. The Dodgers have one guy on first and two outs. So one more out and the game is over. The Dodgers put Gibson up to bat. And the crowd in Dodgers Stadium full of 56,000 people goes delirious as this man hobbles up to the plate. And then Oakland pitcher Eckersley works Gibson into a situation with two balls and two strikes. Eckersley pitches again, another ball. Now it's three balls and two strikes. Gibson limps into position for the next pitch, and here it comes. Dodger Stadium is tense. The fans are on their feet. The players and coaches are on their feet as well. Everyone is frozen except for Eckersley and Gibson. And Eckersley wheels around. He throws, Gibson steadies himself and connects, and the ball goes sailing over the fence into the bleachers that day, and the crowd does what? It explodes uh, in joy and celebration over this miraculous 5-4 victory, and Gibson hobbles around the bases limping heavily. That is the 1988 story of how Gibson had this game-saving home run. There is something powerful when someone from a place of weakness displays great strength, especially when they are on a team and they are injured and they stay in the game for the sake of the team, especially when they're playing for a greater glory than themselves. And that is what we have been talking about for the last few weeks, really, and months as we've been walking through the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians, how sometimes there are things in our life that are like a thorn, and God wants to turn them to a greater glory, the glory of Jesus Christ. And Gibson's example was a small glory. We're talking about a much more profound glory uh, that lifts up Jesus Christ in our life. And so we're going to cover a passage today. It's, it's our final passage in walking through the book of 2 Corinthians. I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. And just want you to know how thankful I am to be worshiping Jesus Christ with all of you today. Thankful for you, church family. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. We're in 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited, this is the Apostle Paul writing this, led by the Holy Spirit, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. 
Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father God, we just thank you that we could gather as a church family today, and we thank you for everyone in the room. We thank you for those who are listening online, and we just thank you that we can gather as a church family. Lord, we recognize that we all have some thorns. Lord, we have thorns as a church, we have thorns as an individual, and Lord, we pray through your living word today that they would be made to your greater glory. Uh, that is our heart. That is our prayer. Lead us right now. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Please be seated. Well, I'm going to go back to verse 9 because it really it is the theme of this entire passage where the apostle Paul says, but he said to me, and he's speaking about Christ <clears throat> in this vision, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. There is a way of viewing life, of viewing our relationship with God, where we see God's grace at work around us. And it's this art or this discipline of what I'm going to call uh, the having joyful eyes that see God's grace uh, at work around us in our life where we learn what Paul learned when he looked at this thing that he refers to as a thorn in his flesh. And he looked at it, and he was like, man, Lord, I can't believe you allowed this to come into my life. And on the front end, he's like, this only brings harm. This is only detrimental, not only to my life, but to my ministry. And yet somehow, God gave him some eyes, some joyful eyes to see God's grace in it all. And so let's consider some ways that joyful eyes see God's grace from 2 Corinthians 12 today. The first one being that joyful eyes see God's grace through humility. In verse 7, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So instead of removing the thorn, the Lord tells Paul that his grace is sufficient for him. Where Paul's weakness would actually become the platform that God would use to perfect his power in Paul's life. And Paul, the Bible tells us, had been given some amazing revelations from God. And we don't know when it happened. We don't know how it happened. Some people believe that Paul got these revelations when he was actually being stoned with rocks because of his faith, when he was defending his faith. The Bible doesn't tell us, but Paul says God allowed him to have what he calls a thorn in the flesh. 
By the way, that word thorn doesn't even do justice to the word that's being used in the Bible here. You literally, like we think of a thorn, we think of like roses and thorns, and, and those hurt, right? They hurt if you touch one of those. But really you could translate this word like a tent peg, you know, like a peg that holds a tent into the ground. And the Apostle Paul's saying, I have this tent peg in my flesh being twisted around, and it causes me tremendous, tremendous pain. And he says this particular thorn kept him from getting arrogant. It humbled this amazing biblical leader who had been given incredible influence and authority from God. And by the way, if we're going to define a thorn, a thorn is any weakness or limitation that we have inherited and can't change or can't change at the present time. Any weakness, any limitation that we have inherited or we can't change at the present time. And if Paul could have changed it, he would have. All of us have things in our life that we would change if we could. And that thing in your life that you've been praying, Lord, take this away. All right, Lord, <laughs> take it away. Lord, could you take this away? And it hasn't been removed yet. It may be a thorn. And a thorn sometimes causes, sometimes causes us to be humbled as parents. Amen. <laughs> sometimes as employees. Sometimes just as people. And if God is ever going to do great things through our life, you can be guaranteed that he's going to allow a thorn or two or three for us to wrestle with. And for clarification's sake, know that the Bible says thorns are allowed by God, so we're not actually, a thorn is not the same as sin. If a thorn was sin and we prayed for God to remove it, God would help us to remove it because when we bring our sin to God, we expose the darkness of sin in our life to the light of God's grace through Jesus Christ. We do it in community, and God gives us freedom in those moments. But in the case of this thorn, really a thorn can be a temporary thing. It can be something that's removed gradually, or sometimes a thorn is something you have your entire life, as was the case for Paul. And this thorn humbled Paul and allowed him to have joyful eyes that see God's grace through humility. And I don't know about you, but I would have loved to known what Paul's thorn was. I mean, aren't you dying to know? I mean, what was it? I mean, really, my admiration for the Apostle Paul gets even higher because he doesn't tell us what the thorn was. You know, for somebody who had written 13 books of the New Testament, you would think that he would have slipped it in there somewhere, right? <laughs> Here's my thorn, just in case you all were wondering, you know, back there in 2 Corinthians. But he doesn't tell us. He wisely doesn't tell us. Some people, you know, they, they've guessed what his thorn was, and, and many people have many different ideas. Some people think that his thorn that he was that he simply wasn't a very good-looking man. <laughs> all right? You, you think I'm joking. I'm actually serious. He must not have been bald because bald is beautiful. Amen? <laughs> I see you bald people out there. I mean, some of you, you got kind of a little bit going there on the sides. So you just go all the way. It's what I've done since I was 34. It's the only way to go. But he says in 2 Corinthians 10, he says, When I came to you, you said, His letters are weighty, but his bodily appearance is weak. How would you like that to be recorded about you in Scripture for all eternity? All right? But remember, the Apostle Paul was basically beaten on three occasions with 39 lashes with a cat of nine tails. That's a certain kind of whip. He was also beaten five times, the Bible tells us, with Roman rods. 
Roman rods were designed to break your vertebrae, to basically crush your back. And so the Apostle Paul, in all likelihood, was really hunched over. The Apostle Paul, when you saw him, you would know that something horrific had happened to him physically. Other people think that it was a serious health issue. We simply don't know. And I personally think the reason he doesn't tell us is because it somehow would have glorified the thorn. Instead of inviting us to have joyful eyes that see God's grace through humility. Joyful eyes also see God's grace through prayer. Verse 8, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should, that it should leave me. We find joyful eyes that see God's grace through prayer. And Paul is really upfront with us, this process that God takes him on to actually have joyful eyes that allow him to see God. And he says, I pleaded with the Lord about this three times. Three times. Now, we're not talking about one of those little, like, you know, quick bed time prayers or you know just a thank you God at a meal we're talking about gut-wrenching honest authentic hot emotional prayer much like we see in the life of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane this threefold prayer of Christ to the heavenly father where he finds confidence in the father and yet the cup of the suffering of the cross remains where sometimes we go to the God in prayer and we come out with confidence that he has spoken to us and yet that thorn or that suffering still remains and so we know nothing about Paul's trouble except that behind the scenes just like the rest of us Paul had to handle a situation that he prayed to be removed prayed to be able to be evade and to escape from but somehow had to wrestle and live with by the grace of God just like you just like me Ole Bull was a classical violinist from a previous generation. He uh, grew up in Europe. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I've only seen it written. And anyway, he was somebody that when he was younger, his dad had hoped he would grow up to be a pastor, right? Uh, but instead, he chose to go into the music world. And by the age of five, he was so gifted on the violin that he was amazing on the violin. And his career actually took off in the early 1800s all over Europe. He would go around giving concerts and recitals. And, but probably his best concert took place in Paris. And in the middle of the concert, in the middle of a song, he broke the A string on his violin. And instead of stopping and saying, hey, could someone give me another violin? Or saying, hey, could you give me a moment, everybody? I'm going to restring this thing. He just continued to play the song and transposed the notes for three, for, for three strings instead. And not only finished the song, but finished the entire concert on three strings. Sometimes the most powerful moments in life are when we finish something by the strength of God on three strings by the grace of God. And I am convinced that if the Apostle Paul could have, he would have gotten rid of his thorn hands down. I'm also convinced that part of the depth that is inherent to the teaching that God gives us through his letters to the churches was found because God didn't remove that thorn and instead called him to live life playing on just three strings. 
And today you may have a thorn. And you may feel like you are living with just three strings to play with instead of four. And God is wanting you to see his grace in it all. And often we find that grace through prayer. Joyful eyes also see God's grace through weakness. Verse 9, he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Uh, every one of us have weaknesses. We have sometimes financial weaknesses. We have relational ones. We have emotional ones. Sometimes we have physical weaknesses. Uh, we all have weaknesses. And basically the apostle Paul is saying, hey, Instead of pretending that we have it all together, because everyone around us knows we don't have it all together, instead of pretending that we have it all together, instead of putting on masks, instead of being resentful because of these thorns, because of these weaknesses, instead, let's give them over to God and ask him to give the eyes to see his grace at work in it. And you go, well, how do I do that? Well, look at verse 9 with me. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to say that again because I'm fairly convinced that every one of us in the room needs to hear that again. My grace is sufficient for you. You see, when Jesus gives us that promise, he doesn't put any limitations on it. His grace is declared more than enough in any situation. And the challenge is to see it and to rest our eyes on his grace in the situation where we have a weakness. And so Paul prays three times, God, take it away. Lord, take it away. Come on, Lord. I'm still here. Take it away. And the Lord says, no, I'm not going to take it away, Paul. And it's not because I don't love you. I love you. I'm actually, though, going to give you something that's even better than what you're asking for. I'm going to give you my grace, my undeserved fullness and presence and love that is going to carry you and that I am going to shine through. I have a friend up north, and he works for Tesla uh, pretty much any car that comes off the assembly line for Tesla and Fremont uh, has been under his watch. But the, the, the assembly lines for cars are pretty amazing things. You have this chassis that is built and it starts coming down the line and you have these robots and people working these machines and as the chassis comes down the assembly line, it's like, you know, these robots come out and these parts come out at just the right time and just the right way and get put onto the chassis of the car. And then it goes down a little bit further and seemingly out of nowhere, this red body comes down and, you know, it gets put on there. And then on another assembly line, you have another design happening and you have a chassis coming down and these robots and people working and at just the right time, in just the right way, in just the right manner, you know, all these parts come in and then it goes down a little further and now a blue body comes down on there it's pretty amazing and really what God is telling us all today is my grace is amazing and it comes at just the right time in just the right manner in just the right way and God is inviting us to have eyes that are joyful to see God's grace even in our weakness around us 
And at the end of verse 9, he says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul's weaknesses would provide the platform for God to perfect his power in him. God uses our weaknesses to provide the platform to perfect his strength in us. And he does it in many ways in our life. Remember 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 said this, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. And part of what God's inviting us to do today is to take our eyes off our thorns and put our eyes on Jesus Christ and his presence in our life. And he finishes and he says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to what? What does it say? This is the end game here. What is it? For what purpose? Yeah, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. God puts his wisdom and his joy and his salvation in our bodies. And he says our bodies are like clay vessels. They're like clay pots. They're like cracked pots. And some of our bodies are more cracked than others, amen? (laughs) Just depends on what's happened in life. And yet God puts his greatest gift in ordinary containers, and it's there that we find he's sufficient. And yet it's possible that there may be someone in the room today, and you haven't yet realized that you haven't given your greatest weakness over to God yet. Because the greatest weakness that anyone has is our sin. This thing that we're born with and we just build upon in life that separates us from a relationship with a holy yet loving God. And yet in this moment right now, anyone who wants to can give their greatest weakness, which is their sin, over to God and invite Jesus Christ to come into their life. And you may have known about Christ your whole life, You maybe have known that he even died for the sins of the world, but maybe you've never taken that step of faith, that most important decision you can make in life, and actually invited Jesus Christ into your life and with grief asked for forgiveness for your sin to receive his free gift of grace that he offers you, where he, it cost him everything to give us forgiveness. And you invite him into your life as your leader and your savior, and he promises to never leave you or forsake you after that. And he walks with you for all eternity And get this, he loves us in our brokenness so much that he left heaven, came to this earth, went to the cross to pay a debt for your sin and my sin, died, was buried, and rose again. And now he invites us to invite him into our life and into our heart. And I want you to know the most important decision that anyone could make today would be to make the decision to invite him into your life right now. And you can do that right now with a simple, profound prayer to God. You don't have to get all the words right. You just invite him into your life and embrace his forgiveness and his leadership in your life as your Savior. Joyful eyes also see God's grace through his presence. Verse 10 says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. And the Apostle Paul is declaring the greatness of Christ's presence in every situation, whether it's a tough situation or whether it's a great situation. And as we think back to the whole of what we've heard from Paul's life in 2 Corinthians, I mean, it's almost exhausting. 
When you think of all the thorns he's mentioned, all of the trials that he's mentioned, and yet what he's doing is he's leading us to this culminating lesson that no matter whether we're in a joyful moment or whether it's an exhaustingly hard moment, true contentment and joy are found through Jesus Christ alone. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's saying the less I have in a certain situation to give, the more I depend on God. And some of our greatest strength in this world will come when we place our greatest weaknesses into the hands of Jesus Christ. Because joyful eyes... See God's grace through humility. Joyful eyes see God's grace by talking to Him in prayer. Joyful eyes actually see God's grace in our very weaknesses that are brought into connection with His very presence. And He's inviting all of us to have joyful eyes today and to see Him more clearly as we follow Him. A television producer once decided to do a documentary on what it would be like to be told that you have cancer. Uh, it was written about in Christianity Today in a resource where I saw it. It was a bold documentary, uh, very applicable to what so many people face in this world with cancer. And so he arranged with a cancer specialist to place a hidden camera in an examining room. And then he got permission from a number of patients to record the moment when they got their results back from their cancer tests. And they profiled these three patients in this documentary. And each one was told that they have terminal cancer and that they only had a few months to live. There it was, right on the TV. You have cancer and you only have a few months to live. And then they followed these three individuals for the next several months. And what was profound was the different way that they responded because the first two really didn't seem to have any faith and the, as they walked, the cameras followed them through life. They just saw this story of bitterness and rage. And they became estranged from their spouses and from their families because really their bitterness and anger precluded their relationships around them. And even all the way to the end, there was a struggle with their families and with their spouse, which is what made the third individual so inspiring. He was a humble black pastor from a small inner city church in his late 60s. And when the doctor came in and relayed the news, you have cancer. It's really bad. You only have a few months to live. There's no anger. There's no bitterness. He sat there patiently with his wife. They asked a few more questions. The doctor told them what was going to be happening. And they thanked him, and they walked out of the room towards their car as the cameras followed him, eavesdropping on them. And they got in their car, and they bowed their heads together, and they recommitted their lives to Jesus Christ. A few months later, he gave his last sermon to his church. It was recorded there with the cameras. He had been very honest with his church about his cancer, and I want to read you a paraphrase of what he said to his church that day. A number of you have been asking me if I'm mad at God for this disease that's been ravishing my body. I want to tell you I'm not mad at God. We live in a world that's been cursed and fallen in sin and sickness, and death is just part of it. 
And I'm not mad at God. In fact, I am more in love with God than I've ever been in my life. Right there on the television screen for everyone to see. And don't be sorry for me. I'm going to a better place where there's no tears, no death, no heartache, no sorrow. And he continued for everyone to see. Besides, our Lord Jesus Christ suffered and died for my sins. Why shouldn't I share in his suffering? And right there, he broke into song, unaccompanied by any instruments, and with a tired old voice, he sang this old hymn. Must Jesus bear the cross alone, and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone, and there's a cross for me. How happy are the saints above who once were sorrowing here, but now they taste unmingled love and joy without fear. The consecrated cross I'll bear till death shall set me free, and then go home, my crown to wear, for there is a crown for me. He died that same week as he was ushered into the arms of Jesus Christ. He'd lived a faithful life, and I look at that man's life, and I believe he really got it. He's an example of what the Apostle Paul is talking about, to have joyful eyes to see God's grace. When we're humbled, when we pray in our weaknesses, in God's very presence. May the Lord speak this over you today, Encounter Family. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We're going to share in celebrating the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ right now through communion. And in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come to the tables and receive the elements. We have some juice and some bread. There's some tables here. There's tables on the side. There's two tables in the back. And you come to the table and you receive the bread and the juice. You take it back to your seat and take some time with the Lord. And I want to invite you to give your thorns to the Lord today as you take communion. And invite him to turn them into his greater glory. Because when we take that bread and we eat it, this broken bread, it symbolizes that Jesus Christ's body was broken for you to make you whole through him. And that we are whole as the body of Christ and we are looking forward to his return. And that juice that you take represents that his blood was spilled for you. That he paid the ultimate price so that you could have ultimate grace and that you can come boldly into his presence today because of the blood of Jesus Christ was spilt for you. You don't have to come timidly. You can come boldly thanking him for forgiveness, thanking him for his grace, thanking him for life in him. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and then come to the tables as you're ready. Take the elements back with you to your seats. Father God, we thank you today for sending your son Jesus to die for us on the cross.
We thank you for the bread and the juice. We celebrate life in you. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your grace. And we lift up you today. And we look forward to seeing you again. In Jesus' name, amen.